Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast and on today's episode, I wanted to spend some time talking about some of the lasting effects that this COVID-19 crisis could have on both procurement and also on the wider supply chain and how technology and digitalization could aid and assist organizations to mitigate an externality such as this if it were to happen in the future. Now, I know a fair bit about procurement, but I'm not a supply chain person. So to do this, I've brought onto the show a thought leader in the supply chain industry, fellow podcast host, and also recently a founder too. So Sarah Barnes-Humphrey of Let's Talk Supply Chain, welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. Hi, James. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. There is so many crazy things happening these days and uh, I can't wait to get into it with you. Brilliant and I'm really really stoked that you agreed to come on the show as well because I'm not going to have to edit as much because you've got a better mic than me so for that alone I'm absolutely thrilled that you've come on. So, <laughs> um, before we start perhaps you could give a very quick just couple of minutes rundown of your journey of how you got into supply chain and then obviously you've pivoted now and are running the podcast and the YouTube channel and the whole Let's Talk Supply Chain brand and spinoffs as as sort of your main activity? Yeah, so I've been in uh, supply chain logistics for over two decades. Um, I worked for a family business for uh, that length of time doing operations, sales, ending up as director of sales and marketing. And at the time, I didn't really like what was out there as far as marketing was concerned. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And I was like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. (laughs) And so I pulled my team together and um, I managed to convince uh, one of the guys from our customs team to be my co-host on it. And we just got started. We, We contacted a few people and they agreed to come on the show and it grew from there. And then in the fall of 2017, he went on to bigger and better things. And uh, I decided to take it on myself. I had to learn everything from website design to social media to you name it, I had to learn it. And um, oh, so, so he was doing that up until that point then? No, I had a team. I had a Ah, team that was helping me do that. And um, then I decided to go out on my own. So I didn't have the team anymore. And so that's why I had to, um, that's why I had to learn everything um, because I was doing it all myself. So in January, 2018, I thought there wasn't enough content out there to give a voice to the woman in supply chain. And so I started the woman in supply chain series on the podcast. And then, and originally the show was actually called Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, um, which was done on purpose because <laughs> we wanted to, we wanted to draw some attention and, you know, there was a guy on there and there was a girl on there and we just thought it was really funny. 
Um, but the women didn't really resonate with the name anymore. And plus I didn't have a co-host anymore. So in April, 2018, I rebranded it to Let's Talk Supply Chain. And I haven't looked back since we expanded Women in Supply Chain into a blog. It's really, really popular. Everybody is loving that series, learning from, you know, the women in the space and their journeys to success. Um, and then we expanded into YouTube and now we've got video content, uh, not only from, you know, myself and the trade squad, which is our YouTube show, but we've got other thought leaders in the industry that are contributing video content to the platform. And that was why I originally built Let's Talk Supply Chain in the first place is to give voices to, you know, the diverse community that we have in supply chain. And it's grown from that and morphed into so many different things from what I can tell. And YouTube's, I empathize with you on YouTube. YouTube is hard. It's, <laughs> I started doing YouTube for another sort of side business that I run and I watched the first sort of few videos that I filmed and I just cringe. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting space. Although I think video content is, you know, really key. And not just video content, but having a diverse and wide variety of different content. Yeah, and I, 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 I find the same that someone's either a blog person or they're a YouTube person or, or, or they're a podcast person. There's always one form that people tend to consume their content more than the others. I mean, I'm, I'm a podcast person. I simply because you can listen to it while you're having a run or while you're walking the dog or doing whatever you're doing. But yeah, other people are different. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're based in Canada. I'm based in Europe. You're a supply chain expert and I know a little bit about procurement. So I think we're well placed to have a balanced discussion here, which covers, I guess, most of the geographies and sort of subject topics that the folks who are likely to be listening to this would be interesting would be would be interested in so my perception and and maybe it's not true but i mean i i can only go on what i've seen out there in my in in my corporate life but i get the feeling that supply chain is a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of data quality and digitization of certain processes when compared to procurement well i think it it depends on what part of supply chain, right? Supply chain is so expansive and it covers a lot of different business functions, you know, from sourcing to procurement to the logistics to which includes the transportation, distribution, warehousing, last mile. And so I think we've seen some advancements in some parts of supply chain. I don't know if we've seen advancements in the whole supply chain. You've also got to um, take into account the size of business as well and what investment they have in and what investment capital they, they have to put into technology as well, um, which will determine how far advanced, you know, supply chain really is in their organization. Um, I think that traditionally procurement is very lean and they keep that department very lean. Um, not entirely sure why, because I think that it's an extremely important part of supply chain. Um, and so I think that there has been more advancement on the supply chain side because supply chain is now has a seat at the boardroom table. And so, you know, they're seeing the importance of supply chain as a whole and procurement is one piece and one part of that supply chain. And so it might not have gotten the love just yet that they need to really be technolo technologically advanced 
it's really interesting that you raise that as the first point because in my in in my last corporate job one of the changes that happened it would have been around 2016 i guess was that we as procurement had always reported into our vp of procurement had had reported into the cfo and one of the changes that that were made was that our VP then from 2016 reported into the SVP of supply chain, who, as as you alluded to, had a seat on the board. And I think the fact that supply chain as a function understands what procurement does and how their decisions can affect the running of the business way much more than a CFO possibly could. I personally think it's a good thing. I well, when I heard that news, I I welcomed it. I thought it would be good in terms of alignment of of objectives, or at least less misalignment of objectives, and that that did actually hold to be true in that particular example. I mean, do you find that that's generally the norm now that procurement reports into the supply chain function, who in turn has a seat at the at, at the big table? Well, I I think it depends on organization as well and organization size. I mean, I just did a webinar about COVID-19 with, you know, three chief procurement officers, right? And so they would stand right alongside the chief supply chain officers in um, a lot of the larger organizations. And so at that point, um, depending on how it's structured, I don't know who they would report in, but I do like seeing that they are standing side by side and that we're, we're looking more at a collaboration. And I talk about this a lot on my show because I think collaboration is the future of business. And the faster that businesses realize that, that every single function within that business can no longer be siloed, but need to work hand in hand. I mean, you know, we're talking supply chain and procurement, but if you look at marketing, if you look at sales, if you look at the customer experience and focus on that as, you know, what is going to drive the growth of your business, every single piece of that flows back into supply chain. That kind of segues nicely into the next sort of suggestion or or thought that I was going to leave there that was, whereas we now have a a chief procurement officer and we have a a VP or an SVP of supply chain, um, there's been a lot of thought leadership and articles recently about the concept of in the future there being what's called a chief value officer or something with or, or or something of a similar title where in that function in future bringing in cost savings and maintaining continuity of supply will have a much more equal weighting because at the moment i mean procurement rightly or wrongly are, are still predominantly tasked and and measured on how many uh, on on the value of savings that they bring to the company, whereas supply chain is measured predominantly on maintaining continuity of supply and maintaining the best performance into the customers at the lowest possible cost. And I think if that does change, and we have either a CPO or an SVP of supply chain stepping up and becoming a chief value officer, that will, by the nature of that position ensure that procurement and supply chain as a function work much more closely together. And if we're taking this then onto a spin of how technology could impact that, because I mean that's ultimately the, the the aim of the show is to highlight how technology is changing our profession with that new chief value officer role and having supply chain and procurement working hand in hand 
to deliver the best ultimate joined up solution for, for the whole picture. I personally think that's a really exciting future. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I would, I would agree with that. I mean, like I said before, collaboration is my word <laughs> and I really think that it's the only way forward. Um, you know, especially with supply chain and procurement. I mean, let's take a look at supply chain and, and how I said that it was, you know, sourcing to last mile. Well, there's expenses and costs within that logistics side. There's expenses and costs within that last mile. And right now I still think that they're siloed, right? I don't think procurement and correct me if I'm wrong, that procurement um, takes a part in that. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, procurement is tasked, well, within reason. I mean, yes, we have risk management within procurement, but within reason, procure, uh, procurement is essentially tasked with purchasing something that is fit for function at the lowest possible delivered cost. Not the lowest piece cost, but the lowest delivered cost. But then if there's a crisis and something has to be air freighted, then that doesn't go onto procurement's budget. Or it doesn't. It doesn't go against procurement's performance. I mean, procurement typically doesn't have a budget. I mean, that's that's another topic within itself. But you know, we we are paid for typically out of the SGNA of of the business in general. Whereas supply chain most definitely does have a budget because they have to deliver stuff to customers. Yeah, and outside of digital technology to bring the two together, I I really hope that we see some more cross cross training between procurement and supply chain, so there can be a lot more empathy on both sides as to you know what they have to deal with, what goes on, um, and so it's not just you know saving, 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 savings because I think that's kind of where we all butt heads between supply chain and procurement. Um, and so I hope to see some more cross-training in that regard once we get to be a little bit more of a collaborative mindset within organizations. So let's dive a little bit more into the technology side of this, and especially in the light of what's happening now with the what's, what's going to be most likely a global economic crisis and recession that's coming out of, uh, of the COVID-19 epidemic. If we look at the three PLs and four PLs, what sort of technologies do you see that are starting to drive those? And what's what's the latest technology and innovation in that sphere that's coming out onto the market? Um, and how is that impacting the wider supply chain? So that is a very loaded question. <laughs> but <laughs> how I am going to answer that is, you know, I've had a lot of discussions with high-level executives, um, startups in the tech space, and it seems like what's happening right now is that they are now looking at technology that was previously shelved and bringing that to the forefront to be able to help with efficiencies in the organization, um, whether that's, you know, 3PLs, 4PLs, whether that's, you know, businesses in general, retailers. I think that this is a trend that is happening um, because people have a little bit more time to take a look at what those technologies are and how they're going to help them increase that efficiency with everything going on. Um, I think we are going to see an increase in RPA. Um, which is going to be able to help help um, processes and increase efficiency. Um, I think that as far as a 3PL and a 4PL stand, I think that you know only time will tell as we come through this crisis. Um, you know who's on top, 
and what they're what they're experiencing. I know before the crisis, they were pulled in several different directions from ex an expense standpoint, you know, because they've been so far behind on marketing and technology and overheads have been um, increasing over the last couple of years as well. So it will be interesting to see what they do in this time as far as technology. Um, I think that we're gonna look at, uh, they're gonna take a look at a lot more cloud-based systems, SaaS plays that are going to help them in, in different, uh, different departments. I really hope that they put an emphasis on um, their systems talking to each other. Um, a lot of 3PLs have different systems for accounting versus warehousing versus operations. And it yeah. really gets kind of messy and convoluted. And I think where tech is concerned, they need to make sure that they are integrate integration friendly. And it surprised me, actually, I, I didn't mention it when we were having a sort of pre-chat before I hit record, but I, I've purchased logistics and transportation in, in the past as, as one of my categories. And and one of the things that I did as part of that was was do a, an in-depth RFP, you know, full-scale market tender um, for a 4PL uh, provider to, to look after all of our imports, customs and last mile for everything that was coming globally um, into into South Africa. And one of the things that amazed me was that of the, I think it was 10 companies that we went to, and they were all sort of household names other than one or two local players, there were only maybe four or five that had a full suite of traceability sort of SaaS mm -hmm. technology out there that could if I called them up and said, I want to know where that container is and, and when it's going to land and when it and when it left and when it's likely to be in our plant, that there weren't many that could do that. Not at least not real time. I mean, yeah, they could all they could call the shipping lines, but not many of them could tell me real time. Right. Right. And it's it's because they have they've had a lot of catching up to do in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess a lot of that as well is that the shipping lines have been losing money hand over fist for years and years. And their their technology, from what I understand, is pretty basic. Um, so, I mean, that that kind of begs the question, once all of this is over, I guess companies are going to have two op two options. They can they can either demand more traceability of their cargo, either from their logistics companies or 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 they can just dump that onto the supplier and make them responsible for for full traceability and go on to sort of D DAP or DDP terms, um, or they can follow a, a, a more more of a localization or a reshoring strategy. Have you got any thoughts about the pros and cons of doing that purely from a supply chain perspective? Yeah, I'm not an expert in this area, but I do think that, you know, from this COVID-19, we're going to see a lot more diversification um, as far as manufacturing um, and suppliers. I, I say that lightly because obviously a lot of time and investment has gone into the way supply chains have been structured already. Um, and it's going to take a lot of, you know, time. Um, some investment to really diversify a little bit more what that looks like for organizations. Um, but I think, I think it's going to be, it's going to open our eyes. This is going to open our eyes to all of the options, all of the opportunities, and really hopefully allow organizations to take the time that they need to figure out what that means for their businesses and their supply chains. 
And I think it will be interesting as well to see which organizations do take this as a wake-up call and which ones will just sort of put it to one side and then and say, you know, it's a one in a hundred year event and and then just continue to fly by the seat of their pants. Maybe because they're driven to and forced to because they're in such a, a brutal marketplace. Um, but I think one thing that will come out of this as part of understanding supply chains better will be, I guess, more statistical modeling in terms of balancing lead times against cost against capital of having two different vendors that you have to manage in some industries as well you know things like tooling costs if you're in you know, metal stamping or injection molding or something that's traditionally had very high tooling costs i think all of this will come into play and it won't it won't just be looking at the landed cost of a component anymore it will be looking at what is the total cost or total risk to the business of having two sources and then if we do have them you know one local one you know maybe far east or in a in a in a best cost country what is then the best sort of percentage mix and are we able to then turn them on and off like a tap i mean if there's some sort of statistical modeling that can do that i'm sure it's out i'm sure the technology is out there but i'm sure that there will be a SaaS company with very good marketing that will be in there pretty soon after all this is over well, yeah. And I mean, think about other technology like 3D printing. Like we haven't even touched the surface on what that can do as far as mar as far as uh, manufacturing is concerned, as far as warehousing is, is concerned. I mean, that that can change things from finished product to importing raw materials. Especially and in terms of availability of spare parts. I think it's a massive game changer in that regard. Well, and it also can can help you be more agile, you know, for any sort of circumstances that come up like this. I mean, look at some of the discussions that are happening with, um, you know, local manufacturers, you know, having to pivot and make, I don't know, hand sanitizer, ventilators, make and, yeah. vis visors, ventilators, you name it. I mean, you know, if if you can be agile and pivot, you know, faster than we have in this crisis. I mean, just think about the potential and the opportunity. Yeah. And, and it could also even from if we look at it from an inventory management standpoint, it could also mean that if if local fabricators, you know, your typical metal basher uh, or, or machinist, if, if they are if they are a lot more agile and 3D printing becomes much more of a mainstream thing in future. If you're buying machinery and equipment from the other side of the world and your spare parts um, lead time is something like 12 to 14 weeks, that that could drastically reduce that for some essential spares. And even if it means paying more to have it individually printed, it could lead companies to be way more open to, to holding less inventory and just paying more when they actually need it from a cash flow perspective. Well, yeah. And even from a consumer standpoint, I mean, we're looking at consumers wanting more and more being customized. And how do you do that? How do you do that with a finished product taking, you know, eight weeks to be manufactured and then three to four weeks on the water and then distributed to the end consumer? You don't. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I think we're probably going to see that a lot, lot more in terms of customization of what historically had been very commoditized products, particularly in terms of, of consumer goods, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there there are a lot of a lot of options to consider. And so it's going to be interesting to see 
what is, what's going to happen. And also to your point earlier, I mean, for companies really to innovate and stay in that sort of startup mindset, you know, partner with startups, partner with those SaaS companies. I'm not sure what that's like in Canada, but certainly in Europe, I mean, the Germans have been particularly good at this, that a lot of big German corporates have, um, have had a startup incubator and have encouraged startups um, from local universities to, to, to come in and share their innovations. And then um, as, as kind of a swap, they've learned sort of business skills and how corporates think and how they source and, and what makes them tick. Um, I'm not sure if that's been common in North America or in Canada as well, but, but certainly in, in pockets of Europe, we've seen that too. Yeah, it has. What I'm finding is that it's attracting more enterprise than medium size. And I would say, you know, to those medium size 3PLs and, and organizations is to spend the time, spend the time to get the, to know the startups in your space um, and, you know, really take a look at which ones that you can collaborate with and bring some innovation back into your into your company, into your culture, and at the same time, collaborate for that future. Yeah, absolutely. I think just startups are so much more nimble by the nature of what they are. You know, they've not morphed into this big corporate bureaucracy where everyone's trying to justify their job. You know, they're they're not run by lawyers and internal auditors. They're run by they're run by engineers or they're run by marketers. Yeah, and so I would I would um, highly recommend uh, more and more companies, small, medium sized, to to really take a look at it. I mean, that's what we're doing with, and I'll talk about this later with the platform that we've started that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. So, I mean, the the final one in terms of innovation, and this is something more more to do with people rather than rather than companies. But um, I think the big sort of eureka moment that's come out of this is that people are actually and companies are realizing that employees can work from home without really any detriment to their productivity and in some cases i mean i was speaking to a good friend of mine last week who's never really worked from home he's a partner in a law firm you know very traditional industry i i was saying how are you finding working from home thinking that he'd hate it and he said that's brilliant i'm way more productive mm-hmm. um and i mean I think this will become much more mainstream. And I think that gives then companies and employees a, a huge opportunity from both sides to have a win-win in that employees can choose to live in areas that have lower cost housing and even lower taxes in cases that, you know, in the US, for example, where you have different state tax or in, in Europe where you have free movement of people and you can choose to live in a lower tax country. And then on a company's benefit, and then from a company perspective as well, they can in turn offer a slightly lower salary or have to pay slightly less in terms of social security contributions. But both employee and employer are both happy and feel like they've got something out of it. Well, and just consider that overhead from office space. Yeah, that's another. I yeah. mean, I mean, think about think about the money that goes into that that could be um, distributed and poured in somewhere else. And it's not to say not to have office space. I mean, maybe you have, you know, some sort of uh, example of a co-working space within your organization where you have a place for everybody to meet. You have um, desks there for people that actually do have to come into the office, but they don't have to be there for that traditional nine to five. And I think you're right. You know, I think 
we're going to see that organizations are going to take a look at what is really necessary and what's not uh, from a cost perspective. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see who goes completely, you know, online. So finally, Sarah, um, I know that you've recently founded your, your own little startup. So just tell us a little bit more about that and what, um, and what you aim to do, because you, you hit on it earlier on that there is a bit of a, a gulf in terms of, you know, enterprise companies are working a lot with startups and the nimble startups are able to go and get market share and, and serve their individual little niche that they're going after. So what you've done with, with ships is kind of in between. So tell us a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So with my um, experience, obviously, on the freight forwarding side and then being in sales for over 10 years and, and talking and get to, getting to know, you know, shippers um, a lot more and, and their pain points, um, I wanted to put together a cloud-based platform that brings the two together. So the focus really is on the small to medium size um, shippers, as well as the freight forwarders, and to really bring them together into in a collaborative environment. And so we're going to be focusing on international air freight and air air freight and ocean freight, uh, real-time pricing, and basically taking what they're doing right now manually, and we're going to be turning that into um, a very vibrant portal that is going to help uh, keep integrity on both sides, help build trust between the two parties, because I think that that's something that has been lacking for a very, very, very long time. And um, we're going to be putting an emphasis on that and uh, and helping helping both sides and then expanding into an ecosystem later. So that is really what we've been working on. We've been working on it for a while. And uh, right now we're in a pilot project and we're going to be getting feedback um, in a way that uh, a lot of our competitors or other startups in the market haven't done it. So, and we'll, we'll have an article come out on it once, once we're, once we're finished. And that would, that would enable then SMEs to get essentially spot pricing online from a number of different carriers without them having to email each one individually. Yeah. And the freight forwarders on their side, they're going to be able to get marketing and um, they're going to be able to expand their customer base through the platform as well. So it's really just that win-win win-win scenario for everybody. If that sounds interesting, and I'm sure it does to a lot of people, uh, also check out the first episode that we did where I interviewed Peter Kynes from uh, Tender Tool, who have recently rebranded actually, and they're now called Freight Tender. Um, they do a similar thing, but for, but for road transportation, um, primarily in Europe. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to want to talk to him at some point. <laughs> so maybe you can I'll, do an intro. I'll hook you up with him. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if anybody wants more information, uh, the company is called Ships. That's S-H-I-P-Z. And uh, the website is shipz.com. I love that you said Z instead of Z. That's one thing the British taught you. Well, the Americans do like to call it Ship Z, and I'm okay with either. <laughs> okay. So that's shipz.com or shipz.com, wherever you're from. So <laughs> Sarah, from. <laughs> awesome talking to you. This has been a great chat because I think it's just, it kind of just flowed really, really naturally. And I love that because there's so many different angles we could have taken this, but I feel like we've covered a lot of topics and both given sort of a hard fact-based projections, but also sort of philosophized a little bit around, you know, how the future could look 
after we come out of the other end of this. So huge thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts and yeah, all the best with your new venture. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, James, and wishing you all the best with your show. Great to talk to Sarah there and and for her to share her perspective of how both procurement and supply chain could change and how technology can be the driver behind that once we get to the other side and come out of this crisis that we're currently going through. Just a quick note before I sign off. And what I wanted to ask is if you are a procurement professional and you have experience of having gone through a digital transformation, I would love to have you on the show to share some of your successes and some maybe failures or key learnings about the whole process that you've gone through. If you'd be interested to come on the show, just drop me an email at info at jamesmeadsconsulting.com or hook up with me on LinkedIn and drop me a DM from there. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.